Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, my executive producer and sweater enthusiast, Cameron McCoy. Is that like a textured gray sweater we're working today? You know it, dude. Yeah. I, I love it. I love it. I'm actually jealous. Um, it's a good fit, as the kids would say. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, so, man, how you been? Good. Uh, it's been kind of just a flatline week, which is good. It allows me to, like, you know, just randomly show up to a couple, well, not a tournament, you know, and just, just play an FNM. It's great. Good, man. Good. I, it's kind of, we're in that weird winter dead zone where mm-hmm. there's not a ton of new stuff to talk about. I think a lot of the discourse in the magic community at the moment is kind of well trodden ground by us. Um, and we're not quite to our end of the year discussions, which I think I'm, I'm a little bit dreading <laughs> trying to figure <laughs> out uh, all the sets that have and haven't come out next year. There's there's some quality time spent with Wikipedia in those moments. Um, but dude, what have you been uh, playing this week as, with regards to Magic? Yeah, so I'm um, still trying with Standard, dude. And I, I just I just need to stop trying, I think, and just like ignore it and let some bannings happen or a new set come out and maybe then it will be a better format uh the mono blue tempo deck running the delvers um sometimes i'm asking myself why am i running delvers um it's an okay deck like it can put up numbers against certain things but like just fable the mirror breaker just outvalues anything that (laughs) mono blue can do across the board, right? I mean, Tenacious Underdog can outvalue in so many ways. So there's, like, all these things where it's, like, yeah, I'm getting, like, a a gin that can get up to a 6-4, and that's cool, or whatever, 6-3, but it's just nowhere near that turn three play that these other decks are doing. Um, So, yeah, like, I I don't know. I'm just a little salty on on standard, and I'm definitely wanting something to happen with the format. Uh so, just to put a button in that, uh, standard challenge yesterday, uh, we're recording on the December 4th, this is December 3rd, one, two, three, four, five of the top eight, including first through, uh, first, second, fourth, sixth, seventh, all Grixis mid-range. Mm-hmm. Then there's a Mardu mid-range, which I'm going to go ahead and wager that has fabled Mirror Breaker, Fabled Mirror Breaker, <laughs> oh, look at that, there it is. Um, and then there's one mono blue, one mono white. Mm. Um, and supposedly Azoria's soldiers can put up some sort of a fight against these decks. Uh, that's a, we'll believe it. I'll believe it when I see it kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I kind of don't want to find out. <laughs> yeah. Is that terrible? No, I, I don't no. want to keep playing the the Grixis <laughs> the Grixis deck over and over again. And on its face, the Grixis deck, which by the way, I've been saying for how many months I thought was easily the best deck in the format. Mm-hmm. I I thought the Grixis deck um, would be my style, and it kind of is. But it's my style when there's variation. But right now, we're really talking about a two deck format. Like, for real. Yeah. Like, if you're a mono black, blue white soldiers, any of these other things, like, goody gumdrops for you, but those are tier two. And I think that's pretty much definitive. Tier one is got to be, what, two thirds Grixis and one third Esper. And 
that is what the, what you are doing. Period. End of story. Right. Um, you also drafted live, apparently. Yeah, paper draft, dude. Um, Brothers of War. It's good. <laughs> it's so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I mean, it didn't knock my socks off, but I I had a just a great time playing this set. I, I, in paper, it was great. I I mean. You know, we, there were eight people playing, and so, like, you could actually... We had a real draft pod going on, and it was awesome. I ended up going with a black-white um, Orzov soldiers deck or whatever, you know. And there's, like, nothing, I would say, that was, like, great about it, you know? I mean, like, it's just just straight soldiers and um, just some value with, like, you know, some decent removal and things of that nature, but... I I was shocked at just like how good it was. Like the artifact stuff just feels really well balanced. You can include some in it, but it really is limited based off of like how that prototype mechanic works. So all of those things just make for a, a really well designed limited draft experience. Better than I would say the sealed experience was for me. Yeah, and look, I know it's it's very common for us to be negative about some of the decisions Watsi's been making, but like, look, man, this is two really good draft sets in a row, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and they deserve a ton of kudos. I knew Capena. I know a, a lot of people had issue with. I never got to draft that very much. I think I drafted it maybe twice. Um, Neon Dynasty, I think, was also a very good draft set. So mm-hmm. they've had a really high batting average lately, and limited is currently the primary way I'm interacting with magic and it's really nice it's really nice to have that experience and kind of I mean it's like a get back to basics you know eat pray draft kind of uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) kind of vibe uh I think I'm right gonna write a manifesto um but yeah it's just I, I feel like I'm belaboring the point here, but Brothers War Draft, I, again, very much not as good as Dominar United, which I think is very close to the Mount Rushmore of draft sets. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly Original Dominaria is, certainly Rise of the Eldrazi is. Um, but like I think the big beef people have said is, oh, this is a notably very aggressive set. And first of all, <clears throat> I like that. Some of the draft formats that are crazy slow... Uh, Mm Because there was a core set uh, that, like, Mill was a very common win condition because the format was so slow. Like, I don't really like it when it's to that level. I feel like if you're slow, you got to be rampy, which I think was what Dominaria United ended up being. Um, But this can be aggressive and fun and fast. Um, (coughs) And the prototype mechanic makes those big cards not dead cards. Mm -hmm. You can cast them on turn three and get something out of them. Um, And I think as a consequence... When a five-mana or six-mana card hits the board in the the faster draft formats, a lot of times it can feel more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I get that it's a feel-bad for, you know, some players, especially players that like mid-tempo to slow, is they finally feel like they're stabilizing with a big creature, and then they get pacified or whatever. And then they're like, oh, this, this format. I feel like you do have to account for those things. Um, and I haven't drafted this as much as I'd like. So we're talking I'm like five or six drafts in. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far I feel pretty comfortable saying I think it's the best artifact draft set they've ever had which almost is not do- complimenting it enough like uh, that's like okay Curtis mm-hmm. that's like somebody being my favorite Denver Bronco it's not really saying that much <laughs> um, 
but I will Von say Miller. like Von Miller, with with like that hyper aggro thing because I I agree it, it, it's a fast set. There's a lot of like um, low to the ground aggro things, but the thing that really complement complements that is like disfigure and overwhelming remorse. Um, I had a legions to, of ashes or something like all these like exile remove. You know, so there's a lot of like good cheap removal, um, instant speed removal that. I think can just helps balance everything in a way that like some sets where you're casting six for removing a creature, you know, so like things like that are great. Yeah. You just have to change where your priorities are at a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I feel like the games vary greatly. Um, So anyway, bottom line is like, this is a good draft set. And I would argue (laughs) if you, for both this and Dominaria United, if you have a good play group, like I think setting aside one of these boxes, like a bottle of bottle of fine wine, is yeah. not a terrible idea yeah. because draft booster boxes are not as common as they used to be. Um, and so, like, I'm really heavily considering picking myself up one, probably Dominar, Dominar United, but I have really yeah. liked this, you know. And um, I think they, they there's just something really cool about these products. And um, I also okay, obviously, I haven't loved the transformers and things like that. I've really loved the artwork for the last two sets, too. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whenever we're talking in-lore magic, it's really been solid. Um, all right. So, Cameron, I, unlike you, I just can't bring myself to play standard right now. <laughs> uh, have, you been, have you been playing much Explorer? I haven't. I, I've kind of, I don't know. I go through waves. I vacillate, right? So maybe at the start of the year start things off because i mean explore is fine it's good you know like i don't hate it it's just i don't know you can get burned out on it easily right yeah so i want to share this with you i don't know if you saw this chart but basically i i would suspect this came onto the official it was on the official wizards like video and it was the arena chart most like what is the most commonly played constructed formats on the ladder Okay, and you can see when sets come out, we have a nice little jump, and then things dip, which is kind of normal. Mm-hmm. But I would suspect this was Watsy sending a message like, "Guys, standard is fine. It's paper standard that's the problem, right? Like mm. they have got like on arena. That is what most people play. People like playing it. There's a ton of interest. Um, <coughs> Explorer and Alchemy are really bringing up the bottom, which kind of surprised me. That's really surprising. Uh, yeah, yeah, and historic being where that is. I think is very obvious. Now, I will I will say this. There is some numerical concerns I have with these findings because when you import an Explorer deck, often it will automatically make it a historic deck. If you do nothing, it will automatically default all decks to Alchemy. When you first load up an update, it will load it to Alchemy. So, I, I mean, what I'm saying is even the Alchemy that's at 10%, I think that's probably, you know, 5% is me accidentally playing an alchemy <laughs> match <laughs> because I just load up a standard deck, hit go, mm-hmm. and then they play a card I don't recognize, and I'm like, oh, snap, right? Yeah. I, I always tell people I've never on purpose played a game of alchemy. Um, but here's what I'm finding with Explorer, and I think this chart bears out. It needs to be freshened up by additional cards, which we're about to talk to with the Explorer Anthology. Um, I don't, wouldn't say necessarily bans, but I think we need a much bigger injection of cards than the anthology because things have gotten very lazy in terms of deck development. 
Mm-hmm. I think there's a whole category of players that are feeling kind of the burnout, fatigue, whatever, but they still love magic. So they're just loading up spirits, blue eye control, whatever. But like, there are several Dominar United Brothers War cards that I think are good enough to be in some of these decks, and you are not seeing them. Like, people are just not loading into them. And so I'm playing Rakdos Sacrifice, the exact same 75 I've played against before. Same with all the Fires decks, you know, uh, Indomitable Creativity. All these things, like, I can spend a month away and I'm playing against the exact same 75. And say what you will about Legacy in its heyday, but that didn't happen. People were always looking for new tech. So I think Explorer is really experiencing this problem of there's not a lot of competitive events and there's a lot of really irritated, very enfranchised players. But Cameron, I'm telling you, you haven't if you haven't touched Explorer in forever and you sat down to play it, there would be zero surprises. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. And and I'm not talking just on a deck level, I'm talking about on a card by card level. And so how we need to adjust this, I, I would say Explorer slash Pioneer, just having a pro level event to whatever extent those exist would really help it. But it is really, really, really needing some innovation and some good deck building in it. And I think this is the danger of non-rotating formats when you don't have high-level competitive play is people kind of rest on their laurels a little bit, right? So mm-hmm. um, anyway, w- any other thoughts on the chart, Cameron? I, I mean, I just yeah. kind of threw that out you out of clean nowhere. I, I, I totally agree. And I, I think um, while we're getting there with Pioneer... Like, there just needs to be a paper analog, period. Like, I want to see, like, it's great that this is on Arena, but I feel like having those papered cards would help maybe inject a little bit more interest and whatnot and help grow that player base more. Everything you said before is I absolutely agree with as well, though. Just, it needs it needs some injection of <laughs> novelty, interest, new cards, all that stuff, so, yeah. And, like, pushing people, right? Yeah. Like, ugh. Um, all right, so... Cameron, I just sent you the whole massive link for what's been spoiled for Explore Anthology 2. <coughs> now, officially, three of these cards have been spoiled. Okay? And they are mm-hmm. Mutaval, Waste, and Thought Not Seer. However, the rest of these cards are appearing on the Holiday Cube. So, this website is basically sussed out that, hey, these are likely the cards. Oh, Reflector Mage is also official. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um. So that these other cards are highly likely to be in it. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, why would they program them? Um, this is the same, I want to say, 4,000 gems. So I think that's 30 bucks. Don't hold me to that. I think it's 30 bucks if you buy the $100 gem bundle. Otherwise, okay. I think it's 40 But you get a play set of every one. Um, what do you think, man? Uh, yeah, man. Like, I mean, if we're talking about, like, the confirmed cards, wastes cool like you know i I mean that non-it's always like this thing of like i always never had a great time with that eldrazi winter and so like seeing something like that always brings back like oh no what are we going to get ourselves into but the format is old enough and it's diverse enough that i feel like putting stuff like thought not seer and the other eldrazi of that era will be totally fine um yeah man and then like just love seeing Reflector Mage, Corsair Crufix. There's like some greatest hits in here that I'm just excited to see in this format and to start playing. Have you ever seen that Key and Peel skit where he's uh, President Obama and he gives all the people different kinds of high fives? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
the one where he really hugs the guy, that's me and Reflector Mage, you know? Uh, I don't know why I love to see this card as much as I do, but I think Reflector Mage is kind of the, was, was the Derek Jeter of a certain era of standard. For those of you who don't know, Derek Jeter is renowned for getting a hit when the game is on the line. That's like his thing, the clutch gene, whatever you want to call it, right? And I'm a Royals fan, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm not a Yankees fan, but I... That is the thing. And Reflector Mage, I don't know how many times I was like, Coco, I have to hit a Reflector Mage to win this game. And there we were, right? Coming in clutch. Um, (laughs) So that being said, Eidolon of the Great Ruffle, we don't have a great relationship. I think that card is obnoxious. Uh, And maybe it'll be less obnoxious on digital, but in paper it was always... You know, a little bit, a little bit much for me. Um, some, some interesting ones. Okay, so Mutavolt I think is the star of the show here. I think, yeah, that's going to be really good for tribal strategies and probably worth the forty bucks alone. Like, I, I don't want Watsy to hear this, but if really Mutavolt is like what I'm buying this set for to have access to. Mm-hmm. Um, but Seder Wayfinder and Corsair Crucifix are not nothing. Yeah. Um, Corsair might be past his time, but that was the kind of engine that would enable these kind of mid-range green decks in certain formats. Yeah. Um, or if we want to get a little s- step closer to a green devotion deck, um, that's also really strong. Um, <coughs> so I, I think this is a really good pack. It's not yeah. out of this world, but it's solid. Yeah. Yeah. I. It's not the. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. This this is a good set. There's been some other ones in the past where I'm like, okay, I'm just paying thirty dollars for a card, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and this is only the second explore one because the previous ones were historic anthologies, right? Yeah, yeah. And we always yeah. felt really compelled. Like it almost feels like a different timeline when we were all in on historic, talking about historic every week, and it was just that one card change or allowing in alchemy cards that we were like, uh, no. nope. I'm fine. So we're just the paper boomers is what it boils down to, Cameron, and I'm okay with that. And I'll be buying this. Uh, There's some really great stuff here. Like, also, Zillaport Cutthroat is good for Rakdos Sacrifice. Like, there's a bunch of role player pieces here, and I dig that. Um, Let's talk conventions. So (laughs) MagicCon Philadelphia, we're starting to get details. It's in February, so it's not crazy that we don't know everything. But, you know, two months away is not nothing. Um... This is theoretically the new style of Magic event. It's kind of notable for us because you and I would have to make the decision to uh, go to MagicCon Philadelphia, or I'm sorry, Minneapolis, which is a few months after that in the summertime, uh, which would be kind of our neck of the woods. Um, what, what I know I just kind of threw the website at you on the show mm-hmm. notes and had you bounce around in it. Where, where are your goods, your bads in terms of this being an event that you would want to attend, Cameron? I mean, I, I big magic events I love. Like that, let's just get that out of there. So I'm excited for that. I wish, just straight off the bat, <laughs> on this website and just reading about it, I don't really know what the path is for. Like, what is this as far as like a big tournament? You know, like it, a lot of side events is cool, but it doesn't feel like it has like that. 
that GP sort of thing where I just, I know what it's about, you know, like the overall weekend is about, um, that's like a minor little quibble, but like, listen, like I'm looking at my calendar now trying to figure out like how I can at least swing driving up on a Saturday, check this out, you know, in Minneapolis and, um, maybe just play some side events. I have a legacy deck still. It ain't good, but you know, I might just go there and have a good time, you know, or pioneer. Like, I mean, like there's like all these, there's plenty of side events is what I'm saying, which should hopefully allow for a fun weekend of at least some competitive play. Yeah, exactly. I, there's good and bad here. So we would be the first ones to say like, for a long time when we heard, hey, GPs aren't profitable, they need to go away, I was like, why are they not charging at the door? And this is much more a traditional convention-style pricing, which doesn't bother me. I do want to say that I, like, that might bother other people, and everybody's kind of got a different threshold for that based upon where they're at, and I totally understand. But the reality is convention centers aren't free, and if this helps offset some of that cost by you know, doing weekend passes versus day... Like, I mean... You know, my daughter does volleyball tournaments that we have to travel for. They all use this kind of structure to help pay for the events themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And these are much smaller events. Like, a lot of these volleyball events that I go to have less human beings at them than a magic convention and are clearly very profitable. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if this was just a thing that we had to get past to kind of get these to be worth the money. But I would always rather do this than the kind of pro events now that are, hey, it's a dream hack. There's an Overwatch room. There's a Dota room, and then there's also a Magic room. It's like, okay, to me, that's not what I really want to be at. Um, and, you know, cool things like artist panels, cosplay, kind of celebrating the culture of Magic. I don't ever want to poo-poo that. I think that's great. To your point, though, it's hard to unplug yourself from, who's the champion of GP Philadelphia this year? Mm-hmm. You know, so, like, that kind of, there's not a lot of competitive drive, and maybe that's by design, but, like, for both you, me and you were like, yeah, maybe I'll show up with a deck. But if this was, like in the Minneapolis example, if that was a, we knew someone could be GP Minneapolis champion, it was mm-hmm. a 3,000-person modern event, we would actually probably genuinely practice and buy decks and yep. text back and forth about it. This, I'm going to show up in my tracksuit and maybe do a couple drafts and go home, right? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that's, that's, again, that's better than nothing. Not trying to... But, and there are some cool things here, like they're going to do a 93-94 event, and, you know, so Mm -hmm. there's some fun things, and I know there's going to be a lot of people that say, well, you know, the tickets can be pretty pricey once you get to the the VIP stuff. You know what? That's going to be built into any kind of event you go to. Oh, yeah. I I just think that is just the world right now, and they're playing along. I don't know that it's great or bad, but, you know, the the three-day weekend price for 160 does not strike me as complete terribly egregious and you know a one-day ticket is 60 bucks again that is very in line with a lot of other convention pricing that i've been to so um i guess i'm medium on this but whenever we were talking about this for like if there's an opportunity to go to a they flesh and blood calls them callings but they're effectively gps or one of these i don't know what i would choose Mm -hmm. well the obvious one if it's in kansas city you're going to the flesh and blood one (laughs) yes Obviously. And so are you, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will con- come up there and kidnap you. Right? Uh, whereas Minneapolis, like, look, Minneapolis is like a nothing drive for you. It's a little bit longer for me. I want to say it's mm-hmm. like six or seven hours, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really easy shot. Um, 
and it's cool. But yeah, I'll just have to see what they line up for uh, GP Minneapolis. So anyway, other thoughts on this camera before we move on to the other stuff we've been up to? Excited for big magic events. Just keep them coming and give me a clear path. That's what I want. <laughs> How they haven't hired you as their executive producer, I'll never know, Cameron. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, we'll be right back. All right, Cameron, so talk me through. So Atari 50th anniversary, is this a console? Is this a game? What is this that we're so talking this, about? So this is, you get like 100 Atari games put into a timeline that has a documentary, like a little video snippets, like there's like trivia and interactive things. You can stop anytime and just start playing Atari games. Very similar to that, I think it was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one that had kind of like the whole pantheon of it. This is this is just a celebration of Atari. And I mean, we're talking it also comes with like Atari Jaguar and Lynx games. Which is really no kind of cool. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. So it's it it it's and what is awesome is like this is like I think the best way to go about video game historic preservation. All the games are there and presented as you could actually play them on the Atari in the 1970s and 1980s or whatever. But what is so cool is like it just provides like the historical context around that with like these like little documentary interviews and just it, it's incredible. It is so good. Like I, I I'm like just kind of thrilled with this. Like I just put this on for like an hour at a time, check out like a few games, learn something about you know <laughs> anything like all, all these like incredible games it, it's um ah oh, dude it is it is really really good and just like the the curated list that they have and like i said like these archives like this timeline that kind of shows like how the atari was shaped um it's it's fantastic it's available um i know it's on the switch i assume it's on the playstation um i'm playing it on steam and like i said it's just a great historical archive of video games and i hope i hope like the the mini console thing is great for something like sega not poo-pooing that but like if sega wanted to do the history of sega in the 90s and show me like that arc and the documentaries and the stories behind sonic the stories behind vector man or anything like that sign me up because like that's where like i would really resonate and really cherish it this is amazing i just don't have like a real strong connection to a lot of like those old atari games like i just didn't grow up with them you know but i have a real appreciation for how they're preserving this for for history yeah and i think you and i are both in that like three or four year window where like ataris were around when we were super young but it was right after the crash the atari crash Mm -hmm. and then nes hit our generation like a ton of bricks like I mean, really, everyone, every young kid I knew and grew up with had an NES. Um, and Ataris were like what the older teenage brothers had, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and so we just kind of missed out on that. But, like, I can't believe there are Jaguar and Lynx games. Yeah. That's wild. It, it's so cool. Like, I mean, um, it, you know, it was a $60 game for me, but, like, I just... I, I just recommend it. I, I think there's, um, I'm sorry, it was a $50 game for me, but like it's it's still like just worth it for like that preservation of like this 
really cool system, you know. So uh, kudos to the team that made this and put this together because I, I think it's just it's really really special. So wait, did you get it on? I'm sorry, I skipped over this part. Did you get over get it on Switch or Steam? Steam. I should have probably got it on Switch just because I think it might like would be a good like bedside companion. Um, but I mean, I want to just have this forever because it, it's just a great way of, like I said, archiving these games. Cameron, I'm really excited that you brought a dose of positivity. Yeah, um, man. <laughs> I, I'm two episodes into Willow. Oh, I have yeah. concerns. Yeah. I have concerns. Okay. And some people out there might say, isn't the uh, original Willow not that great? And to which I would say, you may unsubscribe to this podcast. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, no, Willow, I think, is really special because I think a lot of people, it was their gateway into, like, I saw Willow before I ever read Lord of the Rings or read The Hobbit, right? Sure, yeah. And, and so it was, in a lot of ways, a riff on that, and I understand that now, but at the, that point... You didn't get kind of adventure fantasy. All the fantasy in that era was like weirdly dark and bizarre, like Dark Crystal and Legend. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. You know, <coughs> I guess technically Conan the Barbarian as well, but still like nothing that's this like uh, uplifting adventure experience like Willow was. And so um, this show, however, it really seems like the people that are making it don't really care for the movie. Because it appears to have very little to do with the tone and the look of the film. In fact, it is very, very, very CW. Very. Okay? There are a lot of young kids that look like they were Abercrombie and Fitch models. And it is theoretically the second generation. I get Val Kilmer cannot be in this. I understand. Um, But, like, literally the first episode is a CW teen drama Hmm. and the people in it talk using expressions. Like they have, first of all, they have American accents, which they, some people did in the original Willow, but they speak in phrases and jargon like a modern teen. Okay. Mm -hmm. And everyone is, what I mean by the CW treatment is not just like young 20 somethings. Everyone is very done up. And I don't know if you recall this from the original Willow, but that people were like grimy in that sh- mm-hmm. movie. You know what I mean? There was like a real physical, like Mad Mardigan looked messed up and grimy and dirty. Remember that sword mm-hmm. fight at the end? There's like fog and blood and smoke. And this is just like everybody's backlit to the nines, you know? Uh-huh. And it nice just little does. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't <laughs> jive. And I am fine with mining a little nostalgia but this they seem to content to mine like no nostalgia Hmm. and the other thing i would say is lord of the rings tripped on this willow kind of trips on this in the first episode everyone listen to me you are not game of thrones you do not have to have a surprise twist Hmm. yeah i don't i don't know who was making the lord of the rings tv show at amazon they were like we need a big twist at the end because that's a Tolkien thing. No. No. But they did. No. They attempted that. And it was a disaster, in my opinion, and really undercut a lot of that script. This has a similar vibe. Really bothersome. Um, but the other good news is, Cameron, is I've continued, as I've alluded to, my journey down to flesh and blood. 
Um, I'm going to keep talking about this in my last segment because I think that's yeah. probably the most appropriate place so that way people can miss it. Uh, wow, this is like quickly becoming an underground success in my town. I went to a shop far away from me and I had no idea where it was. And um, I was like, uh, okay, I'll, I'll go there. And there's like two people sitting there. And I'm like, oh, man, nobody shows up. Then 17 people walk in the door after me. Nice. So I actually did. I And again, I went 03, and these are bad losses, Cameron. I was playing against. And that's the problem with this game is the learning curve is so crazy steep. Mm-hmm. But, oh, man. It, it was a blast, and everyone was so giving and so kind. And people kept going, hey, you're new. What cards do you need? Here, do you, this is a card you need? And just literally giving me cards. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So very, very legacy-style vibe. Again, big, big. Uh, I'll have probably some more analysis after the holidays. But big thumbs up. So Awesome. Awesome. Cameron, if someone would like to talk to you about their thoughts on Willow, where could they find you? <laughs> That's all on Twitter, at Cameron underscore McCoy. I'm at Curtis Now. Our official show feed is at SpikeFeedMTG. We'll check you guys next week.